0: Colossians chapter one, verses 15 through to 20 is where we're gonna begin. If you've been around here for any length of time, uh, typically speaking, we'll take one piece of scripture and we'll work this whole series off of that one piece of scripture. Uh, This series is gonna be a little bit different because of the context um, and because of the content. Uh, We're gonna be looking at various different types of scripture, but I would say today's message is the platform to this series that we're gonna build upon this space. A lot of the content, a lot of the ideas, a lot of the truths that we're gonna get into over the next few weeks are not possible without today's message. Let me simplify it. None of the truths and none of the concepts and none of the ideas that we're gonna dive into are the, over the next few weeks work without Jesus. Right. And that's where we have to start out in this series. So I'm gonna read you a scripture today that is probably um, I, I say this a lot, it's one of my most favorite. It is my favorite scripture in the Bible because it all, it all rises and falls on this truth right here about Jesus. Colossians chapter 1, 15 through to 20 says this. He, everybody shout Jesus. every Everybody shout Jesus. Jesus. Shout Jesus like he's in the room. Jesus. There we go. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation for everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness, dwell in him, and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth, things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Today, as we begin our series, This Side of Heaven, I wanna speak to you from the subject, The Ingredients Matter. As we look at the supremacy, the sufficiency, the power, and the authority of Jesus, and why life, faith, and the church remain strong and steadfast no matter what is happening around us. Would you pray with me just one more time today? Jesus, we honor you in this place. And as the scripture just said, we give you first place in this space, it's yours. It's not ours, it's not mine. And so God, right now I pray that the words that come out of my mouth today would be your words, not my words. By your spirit may I speak today. And underneath the authority of your word, I pray that all of us would find freedom and hope, God, that we would come, we would leave here today different than we came to change us right now. So we honor you. We give you this space. We humbly ask you to show up and show off in Jesus mighty name. Come on and the church. shouted, Amen. Amen. I love food. Is there anybody else in church today that loves food? I did like, come on. Okay, cool. We found, we found the weak spot. Um, I love food. And here's the truth. So Eric and I work out. We haven't been for the past month because we've been out and about. But um, traditionally speaking, and normally within our schedule, which I'm so excited to get back to, we work out. And let me tell you why we work out. We work out not for health benefits. I don't care what my body looks like. I'm not working out to, to look a certain way. Here's why I work out. I work out to eat. Come on, somebody. Can we just be real in church today? Like all of you who work out said so like, like, I just want to be healthy and I just want to look good. Nope, not me. Uh-uh, I work out so I can eat. And I found this secret to be true. The more I work out, the more I can eat. Come on. <laughs> right? And so I love, like I love food. I think, like, I love food. I, 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 I'm the guy that if you bring me to a restaurant, I will not order a salad. Right? You know how like some of you go to a restaurant to behave, you order a salad? Say, I'm, I'm gonna get a salad. <laughs> I'm gonna look at the menu and I'm gonna go, I'm gonna get a steak, I'm gonna get a baked potato, and then I want you to put more steak on top of the potato. Bacon, chives, sour cream, and butter. Come on. <laughs> Erica's a... a a Yelp snob. And uh, she's, she admits it. So I'm not saying anything wrong. She, she will tell you. Like, if you suggest anything, four stars or under, she will look at you like you've lost your salvation. <laughs> Why? Because we love food. And how many of you agree with me? Those of you who love food in the house today, the ingredients matter. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The ingredients matter because good food has good Ingredients, what goes into something to make something changes both the sum and the substance of that something. When you go to a restaurant, you expect to pay larger sums of money if the ingredients of a particular dish are greater, cleaner, more lucrative, specialized, sought after, quality, locally sourced is the new thing now. You're like, where did you get that pig? In the backyard. You're like, sweet, here's more money. (laughs) Where'd you pick that lettuce? In my front garden. And you're just like, ah. But how many of you know it's, it's quality, the ingredients matter? How many of you know you would not want to pay Ruth's Chris prices for McDonald's quality foods? And So before we get anywhere in this series, we have to set the foundation to which we will build upon. And that is that Jesus, is the best ingredients. Jesus is supreme, sufficient. He has all authority and truth is set by his authority. The ingredients matter. And I want to submit to us today that many of us have tried to build our lives with ingredients that are just not as good. Because the ingredients matter. We've tried to add this and and put in this and source something from here. And Paul, right here in Colossians chapter one, 15 through to 20, he gives us the menu item that is the best item. And telling us what that menu item is, he names all the ingredients of Jesus. And he goes, hey, I just need you to know at the end of the day, I know that you're looking for stuff, I know that you're wanting stuff, but let me show you where the good stuff is at. And so he lists all the ingredients of Jesus. And he says, if you wanna live the life that you're hoping to live, if you want to build upon something that is good, I just need you to know that this is the best ingredients that you will find put together in the package of Jesus. And so that's where we have to start. And Paul's aim right here in Colossians 1 was to deal with this issue that was coming from this group of people called Gnostics. Gnosticism attempts to dethrone Jesus by claiming a special and more revelatory knowledge of life and faith. And to do this, the teaching of the Gnostics had to subjugate and deprecate the sufficiency and the supremacy of Jesus. But like pulling on the thread of a sweater, when we reduce and curtail the sufficiency and supremacy of Jesus, we destabilize what is otherwise unshakable. And that is his kingdom and his church. can I just tell you today is like a little bit of disclaimer, when I talk about church, I'm not talking about the well specifically, I'm not talking about like this, walls, stage, erected buildings, anything like that. I'm talking about the church. God's people that he died for. Jesus didn't die on the cross for this building. Come on somebody, right? Jesus didn't die on the cross for some little, some little church building in a strip mall. He died for the community of believers that would come together unified underneath his name. The name of Jesus, which the Bible tells us that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. His name is Jesus, so I wanna make sure that when we use this church, or this, this word church, we understand what's going on. Paul's response to the arguments and teaching of the Gnostics was done so that he could curb what was entering into the church. And the truth is the, teach- the teaching of the Gnostics has yet to change much. We still deal with it today. It, it, it's just dressed differently. It's tighter jeans, deeper V-necks. <laughs> Love you online. It uses different pop cultural terms and cultural lingo, but it carries with it the same contempt and same disdain that the Gnostics of centuries past had. There's still all kinds of movements and thoughts and ideologies and opinions and powers trying to minimize and cheapen and discredit Jesus. Been doing it for years, generations, millennia. But let me say this out at the outset, in no way is this message today gonna be able to convey the absolute supremacy and truth of, of who God is. I just don't have those type of words. I, I'm not the smartest guy to be able to articulate that. There's better that can articulate it. But if today, maybe like Paul, I could say to you, I'm not, I'm not coming with plausible, like plausible words and, 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 and beauty and, and, and the way that I say it. Hopefully we're coming with the power and the demonstration of the Holy Spirit that at the end of the day, as we preach this word right here, we can see how good Jesus is. We can see how powerful He is. And we can understand that He actually has a plan and a purpose for our lives. There's gonna be things that we never fully understand about God. If we could figure everything out and understand everything then effect, we'd find ourselves without need of the very one we are trying to understand. Yet that's what we do, we reason. And in all of our reasoning, I've come to find out, reason is man's way of eliminating faith. But Hebrews chapter 11 verse three tells us this, y'all with me still? He says by faith, ever shall faith. faith. Come on, ever shall faith. faith. By faith we understand. Not by knowledge, not by reason, not by adding it all up, not by putting it all together, by faith we understand. And what do we understand? We understand that the universe was created by the word of God, that he spoke it into existence so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Now I'm all for education and I'm all for learning, but this is what the Gnostics were doing. As Paul was dealing with the Colossians, the Gnostics were trying to say, hey, listen, Paul and the, and the apostles and, and, and the, and the truths that you've built your life on, they're kind of okay. But let us reason with you. Let us show you how all of these other things absolutely produce truth. But the problem is, is that the ingredients are never as good as Jesus. Because any truth outside of Jesus always leads you and I to the ingredients of ourself. And how many of you would realize, you've tasted and seen, that we're not so good? And so that's what Paul was, was dealing with. So as we look at, to God as, as creator and sustainer and develop a, a biblical worldview on, on the issues that we're gonna be dealing with in this series, we have to understand that the Bible is not intended to be a scientific textbook that focuses on the how but rather it's a theological narrative written with the expressed purpose of revealing the God of creation. In other words, simply put, this book is about pointing us to God. The emphasis is on God and his relationship with humanity, not on creation itself as well. Galileo said it best when he said, the Holy Ghost intended to teach us how to go to heaven, not how the heavens go. Galileo. Just a small thinker, not too smart. And yet we still despair, don't we? At some point or another, I, I bet you if I, were to, if I were to poll our church and we said, who has over the past two years been in moments of despair? I think we'd have a pretty large grouping. And yet we still despair. And, and many of us right now would think to ourselves, well that's not the greatest news, what, what's so good about Despair. Well, Charles Spurgeon would write it like this, and I actually don't think despair is the worst news that we could we grab a hold of, and this is why. Watch what he says: Despair is a blessed preparation for faith in Jesus. The end of the creature is the beginning of the Creator. Your extremity is God's opportunity. Now that you are helpless and hopeless, God will come to your rescue. Come on, somebody, is anybody, thankful for Jesus today. So what he's saying is that many of us are living trying to save ourselves, but when we quickly realize that we cannot save ourselves, the ingredients of ourself, the ingredients of the world, the ingredients of all of these ideologies and opinions and thought, they are found waning and wanting. I need to point us back to Jesus because it's in Jesus. When I come to the end of myself, oh, I find the beauty and the grandeur of this God. His name is Jesus, our hope is found in Jesus. So if you're here today and you're not quite sure on the whole Jesus thing, I hope this message is specifically for you. Seeking, searching, doubting, wherever you're at today. Welcome home, welcome to this place. You can kick the tires of faith, you can belong before you believe. I can throw all the cliche answers, but I hope today, if anything, you walk out of here and we've given you the menu and you said, oh, That sounds good. Come on, have you ever gone back to a restaurant just to get the same dish? Oh, come on, somebody. We come back here every single week. We're crazy enough just to eat the same thing every single week. That's why Jesus would say, oh, I'm gonna preach this now. That's why Jesus would say, I'm the bread of life. At the end of the day, because when we engage with him, when we taste and see the goodness that is Jesus, I have no other option but to keep coming back to the very place that feeds me. And so I want to walk through this verse a little bit and just give us some truths that I think are really important for us to understand about Jesus. Here's the first one. Come on, every shout number one. Jesus in his supremacy is the sum and the substance. Jesus in his supremacy is the sum and the substance. Colossians 1 verse 15, check it out. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation creation, meaning he is the sum of it all and the substance of it all. If you need, are asking the question, is God real? Jesus is the sum and the substance. That's our answer. So when we look at these truths, it helps us understand what we're putting our faith in. In other words, he is the point. He is the centerpiece. Holidays are coming up soon. My daughter reminded me yesterday. She said, Mom, Dad, Christmas is in three months. It's four months. We did the math because we got insanely anxious. She's still locked in her room. But come on, anybody excited for the, I love the holiday season. Like, I I get really excited, we're heading into fall, kids are going back to school. Oh, can I just tell you, my kids are going back to school. (laughs) Guys, guys, listen, you have no idea the miracle that is about to take place in our life. All three of our children are gonna be in the same school at the same time, all day long, five days a week. He is faithful. He is faithful. (laughs) He is faithful. (laughs) Yeah, come on. You got me. Oh, man. So good. So, the holidays. Um, The holidays. So, um, growing up, uh, if you've ever met my mom, uh, my mom does not do it wrong when it comes to food. If there was anything that never went wrong in my house as a kid, it was the food. It's probably why I love food today, the way that I do. But, man, she can cook. And I remember every Thanksgiving um, and holiday moment, my mom would always have a centerpiece in the middle of the table. Now, how many of you would agree with me that, that a centerpiece is nonsense? Um, and if you are a connoisseur of centerpieces and you love making them, I'm sorry, I love you, but it's nonsense. And here's why, because you're just gonna move the centerpiece and put the real centerpiece in the meal or in the middle. That is the turkey. That is the, I don't need flowers, I don't need frill, I don't need like plastic, you know, spiral thingies (laughs) with glitter and little styrofoam beads. I need a turkey to be in the middle of that table. I need prime rib to be in the middle of that table. I need roasts to be in the middle of the table. Why? Because that's what you're waiting for. That is the good stuff because nobody wants a table with flowers in the middle and mashed potatoes and yams. You're like, what's, what's going on? Here's why I tell you that. The center should always be reserved for the best. And when we remove what is supposed to be at the center, anything and everything else tries to take its place. It creates a vacuum at the end of the day. I don't want tofu at the center of my table. (laughs) Sorry. If I offend anybody today, just know I love you and I do it weekly. So here's the truth what is in the middle gets all the attention. What is in the middle gets all the attention, and the Bible is full of assertions that Jesus should be in the middle of our lives as the exact and perfect representation of God. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 the sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact expression of his nature. My goodness, this is good, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Notice it's not just like a small word, it's a powerful word. John 14, 9, the one who has seen me has seen the Father. John 1, 18, no one has ever seen God, the one and only Son who is himself God and is at the Father's side has revealed him. And then the centrality of Colossians 1, 15 through 20, finds its crescendo, if you will, in verse 18. And it says this, that Christ would have prominence, would be the center of everything. And here's the truth that I need us to grab a hold of today. Jesus doesn't need just prominence in our lives. He needs preeminence. When he's prominent, he's somewhere in a list. When he's preeminent, he's over it all. Let me say that one more time. When he's prominent, he's somewhere in the list. When he's preeminent, he is over it all. Oh, prominent says that he's important, but preeminent says that he's first. First in our marriages, first in our vocation, first in our parenting, first in our relationships, first in our finances, first in our serving, first in our thoughts, first in our emotions, first in our actions. When Christ is preeminent in our lives, he is first and everything else orbits around him. Christ is and should be the sum and the substance of our lives, he's the centerpiece. And when he's no longer first everything unravels again for some of us who are seeking today potentially doubting today not sure you're hearing me make very absolute truths and I'm fine with that because at the end of the day you came in here to hear what this says so we don't need to dance around it don't need to placate just know this that these absolute truths come from a place of love in a place of care. And I'll tell you, I've lived my life with him not at the center. And boy, did it unravel. Right, right. That was a hot, garbage dumpster fire <laughs> of a life. But here's the, here's the thing I've, I've started to notice about our society right now. Is that for many of us, we want Christ, but do not want him first. So we're actually chasing something we don't really want. I want to submit to some of us today that are sitting in this building and across all of our services I'm gonna say it in in every service if we are not careful we are potentially chasing someone we don't really want I want pieces of him but I don't want fully him because how many of you know if you go to an expensive steak restaurant for those of us who like meat Use that, use that as a term right now, but how many of you know that if you go to an expensive restaurant, and I've seen some like, I've seen some expensive steaks purchased before, how many of you know you do not leave it on your plate? You don't bring it home in a box, because no one microwaves ribeyes. Come on somebody, you sh- like you like just a full, right? I've been in a steak restaurant Erica's like, you're going to eat that whole thing? I'm like, yes. All of it. And you will have to carry me out of here on a stretcher. I will have meat sweats for days. Right? (laughs) Because I took it all in. And I'm going to lead us to this place in this series where hopefully we're getting to the space as a church, and whether you're here for one week or you've been here for 15 weeks, whatever it may be, that we are getting to the space on this this side of heaven that I want all of Jesus because when I get to heaven, it's gonna be all of Jesus. Everything right now, this side of heaven, is in preparation for that side of it all. And so I want everything that I can possibly have when it comes to Jesus. I want his way, I want his truth, I want his life, I want his power, come on somebody, I need Jesus. Man, I gotta hustle. Number two. <laughs> Jesus in his sovereignty, in his sovereignty is ordered and intentional. He is ordered and intentional. Colossians 1:16, for everything was created by him. Everything was created by him, created by him, created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all, Every shot all? Did you know all means all, and that's all all means? It's in the Greek, look it up. All things have been created through him and for him. So the Bible exposition commentary puts it like this, when it comes to creation, Jesus Christ is the primary cause, he planned it. He is the instrumental cause, he produced it. And then I love this, he is the final cause. he did it for his own pleasure. Purpose, it's something that's lacking nowadays, isn't it? If, I, if we have teenagers, young adults, college students in here, brand new high school graduates, you're getting ready to go into your freshman year of college. I don't, I don't know if in here if you've been struggling with your purpose. I just need us to understand that at the end of the day, in his sovereignty, Jesus is ordered and intention, intentional. He created you on purpose. We said this a couple weeks ago that who we are is not up for grabs. A few weeks ago, we talked about this idea that many of us are trying to find ourselves. We're looking for ourselves in all the wrong places. Trying to find love and hope and life and goodness in all the wrong places. We were not meant to find ourselves. We were meant to lose ourselves and find God. And the greatest purpose that you and I have been created for is to bring absolute and total glory to God in and through our lives but in order to do that I have to understand the the building truth underneath it and that is he created me for purpose I we shot purpose psalm 139 13 through to 16 says this for you formed my inward parts You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Oh, I just wonder if we could stop right there for a second, how much that truth right there could change a generation. I wonder how many of you teenagers in this room today and across all of our services might find a better way if we understood that I was fearfully and wonderfully made. That somebody actually planned you and labored over you and designed you and cared about you. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret. Intricately, there it is, intricately woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me when, as yet, there was none of them. The writer of Psalms, hear this today, church. The writer of Psalms is reinforcing the truth that God is our creator. And he is not this distant, ambiguous, offset, stoic machine that dismissively pieced us together with leftover parts. He's rather God with love and consideration, joy and absolute purpose formed us as if creating a piece of art with no intention of mass production. Each one of us vastly different with a matchless design. Genesis chapter one, verse 26, gives us the account of creation. For the sake of time, I'm not gonna read it all, but you can go there and then in Genesis chapter two, in verses seven through nine, you get this zoom in of the creation account. And the Bible tells us that God labored over us and he would breathe life into us. Now I need you to hear this. There is not a single moment in the creation narrative where God did that with anything else. The Bible actually tells us that God would say, let there be. He did not say, let there be when it came to you and I. It wasn't dismissive. It wasn't like, oh, it's just a part of everything. No, 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 God actually said, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to name them and I'm going to breathe the Bible's Ruha into them, the, the, the breath, the life of God. And then to everything else, to the stars, to the sky, to, to the dirt, to the animals, to the trees, to the separation of it all, he simply said, let there be. This was an act of creation, but you and I were an act of love. So he deliberates and he designs and he not only creates flesh and blood, sinews and muscle mass, he attaches purpose and reason at the moment of creation. And so we've gotta find ourselves in God. Now, there's another way. Richard Dawkins would tell us about this other way, the famed atheist, listen to what he says about his view of things, view of reality and creation he was asked if it depressed him, and this is what he said, I don't feel depressed about it. But if somebody does, that's their problem. Maybe the logic is deeply pessimistic. The universe is bleak, cold, and empty, but so what? The renowned atheist philosopher Bertrand Russell summarized all of it to listen to this. There's some big words here, we'll get to the point, just hear it out. And he says this, that man is the product of causes which had no provision of the end they were achieving. That his origin his growth his hopes and fears his loves and his beliefs are but the outcome of accidental juxtapositions of atoms that no fire no heroism no intensity of thought and feeling can preserve an individual life beyond the grave that all of the labors of the ages all the devotion all the inspiration all the noonday brightness of human genius are designed to extinction in the vast death of the solar system and the whole temple of man's achievement must inevitably be buried beneath the debris of a universe in ruins. All of these things, if not quite beyond dispute, are yet so nearly certain that no philosophy which rejects them can hope to stand. Only within, listen to this, here it is right here. Here's where he sums it all up. Only within the scaffolding of these truths, only on the firm foundation, foundation of the unyielding despair Can the soul's habitation henceforth be safely built? That'll move life forward, won't it? Like how many of you woke up today and said, you know what, I'm ready for another moment of unyielding despair. (laughs) Like Parents in the house, could you imagine waking your kids up for that? Come on little Johnny, little Susie, get up today, we've got another day of unyielding despair. yet we place it as a foundation. Jesus would tell us there's two places you can build. You can build on sand or you can build on rock. And I've just come to find that my rock is Him and everything else is unyielding despair. It's sand. See, number three, Jesus in His authority is powerful and personal. Jesus and his authority is powerful and personal. Here it is, Colossians 1:17 through to 20. He is before all things. I'm gonna ask the team to come back. And by him all things hold together. Here it is, he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead so that he might come to have first place in everything. I want us to see the connective tissue between his authority and the church, you and I. This is why we talked about it in the beginning because it's personal. And it's his authority that gives him the right to say this in Matthew 16, verse 18. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I need us to understand this, because remember, go back to the beginning, the qualifier. We are not talking about an erected building. He's talking about you and I. Here is the source of our encouragement today, that nothing that is formed against you can prosper because the authority that is in the mouth of Jesus said that he would build his church, you and I, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But yet, how many of us would agree the past couple years has tested that? And I just need to read us something that I wrote that I hope takes us into the future and takes us into this series as we gear up for an amazing fall around here, as we gear up for what I believe is gonna be an amazing rest of the 2021 and and moving into 2022. And I know that right now, it's getting dicey again. I can feel the tension. Wanna remind us, check your source. Sandra Rock. It's getting tense again, and I can feel it as I talk to people. There was a looseness a couple months ago, and all of a sudden, it's it's tensing up again. But I wanna remind us something, so I wrote this down, and I hope it's okay if I just read it verbatim, because I need us to hear it today. Because of the authority that we have in Christ, and because of the authority that he has to build his church, I believe this right here to be true, that there is not a word that can be spoken that can hold back his church. There is not a policy that can be established that will hold back his church. There is not a disease or a disaster that can hold back his church. There is not a fad or a faction that can hold back his church. There is not an idol or an ideology that can hold back his church. There is not a greater one in authority. There is not a greater in power. There is only one who holds all things together, puts breath and life into motion, part sees, heals the blind, resurrects, redirects, and moves across the earth to find one who will worship him. There is only one who it can be said that he is both the first and the last. Before all things, In all things, working through all things, and holding up all things. Come on, his name is Jesus. And here's the last point it's not a throwaway point, it's actually just really simple. Jesus and his character is good and loving. Colossians 1, 19 through 20, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth, things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. With every head bowed and every eye closed today, I wonder if you know this Jesus we've been talking about